Welcome back to the Gold Standard Podcast. This is episode number 78, and this is part two of a two-part episode with Shay Hillenbrand, two-time MLB All-Star. And on Wednesday, episode number 77, part one, he shared about his time as an athlete at the MLB level, and then today he shares more about his personal life. So make sure and go back and listen to part one if you haven't yet. I know you'll be encouraged by everything that Shay has to share with you. You're listening to the Gold Standard Podcast. I'm your host, three-time Olympian and motivational speaker, Leah Amico. On this show, we're going to dig deep to unlock what it actually takes to build a foundation for greatness. If you're an ambitious person with big vision, but you feel like fear is holding you back, get ready for some major breakthroughs. Let's dive in. Okay, let's shift just a little bit into the identity piece, because when you shared your story, it just really hit my heart for what you were sharing. And I think so many young athletes struggle with this. I think college athletes struggle with it, with this finding out who you are and not having it attached to what we do, what we accomplish. I believe people in the business world, right? If I just get this position, if I just hold this status, if I just buy this house or this car, then I'm going to feel fulfilled. And so will you just share a little bit about kind of Shay Hillenbrand, the athlete, like you shared last week when I, when I first heard your story and then kind of, you just went through some struggles and trying to figure out, and you've really bounced back and talk about rewriting your story. Yeah, absolutely. In 2005, I was flying to the all-star game in Detroit, Michigan from Arizona in a citation 10 private jet. And this private jet is the fastest civilian jet in the world. 64,000 feet, 640 miles an hour by myself. I didn't have my entourage. I didn't have my wife. I didn't have my dogs. I used to fly my dogs with me and my kids because I'm a huge, obviously a huge animal lover with owning a zoo. So I, I walked through the private terminal and put a smile on my face. How you doing to the secretary? And here's your plane. And I walk on the plane. How you doing to the flight attendant? And then there's a pilot and a co-pilot. How you guys doing? And give them a tip, $100 a piece just to help them out, whatever. And just like, then I sit down at my seat and I'm going to my childhood dream. Gosh, you keep giving me the goosebumps, man. <laughs> I, uh, going to my childhood dream that I so aspire to do at the top of Dodger stadium, the top deck. And uh, I'm, I'm flying in this jet and I look out the window and the thoughts going through my mind are, is, is this all life has to offer? Is this all it's about? Because I hate every aspect of this. But if I don't go tomorrow and perform in front of tens of millions of people in the Midsummer Classic and the All-Star Game, I'm not going to have a job. And if I don't have a job, I'm not going to have an identity. And if I don't have an identity, I might as well put a pistol in my mouth and end my life because I don't know who I am. And where does that stem from? For my experiences for myself personally, it stemmed from a story that I told myself at 14 years old when my dad walked into my room right before I was going to be a sophomore in high school in Southern California. Formative years where I found my identity through my friends and sports, playing soccer, basketball, football, baseball, whatever. That's where I found like, oh my gosh, Shay is good. So I was able to fill my self-esteem all through that because I really didn't have anything on the inside. Um, I fought challenges a lot as a child. And what I did is I loved to be outside, throwing the ball against the wall, kicking the soccer ball against the wall, hitting a ball off the tee. And I found that place to be a place of solitude for me, for my internal world of hell that I'd go through. And I just tell myself these stories over and over from experiences 
in my childhood with inside my home. But I want to make it very clear before I take you guys on this journey is my experiences were nothing. There's no abuse. There's no alcoholism. There's no drug abuse. It was just experiences that I went through and I was left to my own devices to interpret and communicate those experiences to myself. So as my dad walks into my room at 14 years old with this this, uh, specific defining moment in my life, he drops a bombshell on me. He says, son, we're moving out of state. And I was like, what? Like my gut just dropped and I felt like I just got kicked in the face. That's how I reacted and responded to him telling that to me. So as my dad left the room, the story that I told myself was, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, and my dad definitely doesn't love me because how could he take me to uproot me from all my community of friends and sports? So with that being said, how I interpreted that experience, because I was left to my own vices. There's no explanation. There wasn't anything in depth. That's just how my dad communicated. He didn't really have a, a really big communication because the generational curse of what he was going through and went through with his father. But I didn't know about this stuff. He's just providing and protecting and doing everything he can work seven years straight every single day. He'd go to work before we wake up and he'd come home after we went to bed. And it's just like dad's providing for the family. Uh, That's all I knew. So as I reluctantly left all my friends and moved to Arizona, I decided to become an overachiever through athletics, not really so much to go to the major leagues, but to prove my worthiness to my father, that I was worthy of his love. So like I said, in high school, I became the number one soccer player in Arizona, uh, junior college, number one baseball player uh, at the junior college level, drafted by the Red Sox, spent five years in the minor leagues, player of the year, three of the five years. Uh, I didn't, uh, I, I went from one level to the next level mid-season one year, so I didn't qualify for player of the year that season for any team. And another season, I tore my ACL in my right knee catching halfway through the season. So I didn't qualify for player of the year that season, but I probably would have been player of the year five of the five years that I was in the minor leagues as a kid that walked on at a junior college. So how did that happen? I, I, I just figured out how I worked. And, and my, 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 my spring training that I made the big leagues with the Red Sox, I was in the shower with Pedro Martinez, uh, all-time great Red Sox pitcher, amazing, amazing human being, very brilliant. He says, Shay, I was watching you when I was coming off the field uh, for the practice that day. He says, when they throw the ball inside, you hit it the left field because I was right-handed. When you throw the ball in the middle, you hit it the center field. When you throw the ball away, you hit it the right field. It's very, very dangerous to face a hitter like that. So with me, I can't come at you with my A game. I have to throw my B and C game at and I can't throw you a strike because you can handle anything that I throw. But check this out, Shay. It's not how much you learn is what gets you to the big leagues. It's how quickly you learn it. And that always stuck with me. It's not how much you learn. All these kids out here nowadays at the youth level, the collegiate level, minor league level, have so much information. They're being over inundated with information that it's just like they don't even know what to do with it because they don't even know their own swing. So the kids that I work with, I'm like, how do you know what to work on your swing when you don't even know your swing? Like at, at, your, at your level, I knew my swing because I worked and worked and worked and worked and worked. So it's like, how did you know that? So what I did is I learned what I needed to do. I learned what I information I needed to take. And Pedro Martinez also told me, he says, make sure you keep your eyes open, Shay, and watch everybody around you. He says, watch the guys that are doing really good. So I'm watching Manny Ramirez. I'm watching Nomar Garcia-Para. I'm watching Trot Nixon and Jason Veritek. And I'm watching these guys that are making uber millions of dollars. And that's where so many people just keep their focus. 
But he also told me this. He says, watch the guys around you that are failing because you want to see what they are not doing that allows them to continue to fail on a, on a continual basis. So he says, watch what they're not doing and don't do that. Do what the good people are doing and watch what the bad people are doing, whether they're not showing up, whether they're not paying attention, whether they're just, just, you know, just screwing around, whether they're just you know, cracking under pressure. Why are they cracking under pressure? Watch them in the batting cage. Watch them in the weight room. Watch them in the clubhouse. They don't have it. So watch everybody around you. So my 2001, I was the first guy for the Red Sox in 30 years to go to the major leagues from double A. So if your viewers don't know, there's like, well, there was like four levels of single A, there's double A, triple A, then the major leagues. I thought I was just going to the triple A that next season as a catcher, but I turn around, I just prepared and prepared and put my head down and acted like a big leaguer, acted like I belonged there, watched, observed, and I applied that information to me. And I was a starting third baseman on opening day when I came to spring training as a catcher. I walk out of the manager's office in Houston. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to play third base. I don't even know the bunt signs. I'm going to call timeout and tell the infield this on ESPN and walk over to Pedro Martinez to, hey, you got the line over here. Like, seriously? Like, like, like I was scared. I was so, so much anxiety, but I prepared so much to combat that. I knew when I got that opportunity, I knew what to do in front of, I'm telling you. It gets a little scary in front of 40,000 people. I don't care what anybody says on ESPN, everybody yelling at you, especially when you play. It's, it's not easy, but the only way I was able to rise for one, I competed against myself. Yes. Ultimately you have competition out there, but I couldn't compete against Barry Bonds. When I hit in front of him, I couldn't compete against Manny Ramirez or, or all these greats, Derek Jeter or a rod or Jason Giambi or just Sheffield. Like these guys, I'm not, they're in a different universe. So I don't focus on them and I don't lose self-confidence because I just focus on what I could do. So I always told everybody I was like a level seven player. All I could like my, my max ability was level seven and I was competing and having success against tens, 11s and 12s. And I'm like, how am I even here? This is insanity. But whenever I was in that position to go with an opportunity to perform, I always leveraged that opportunity. The only way you could do that is how you prepare. The only way you can prepare is how you know yourself. What do you need to do yourself to prepare? And that's all I do right now. As you can see, I'm like a Ferrari. I have energy, I have passion. I can't just wake up out of bed and expect this. I do a lot all day long to fill myself up and keep myself going. So I do a lot more than the average person just because I have this in a different spot. So seven years in the major leagues, I two-time all-star, $20 million in the bank, private jets, three mansions, six automobiles, when you're rich, you call them automobiles. Everybody else drives cars. I had time pieces. I didn't have watches. I had 300 pairs of shoes. I thought I was big pimping, bad Shea Hill and brand little girls in the stands, stands holding up signs. Will you marry me? Shea do autograph signings for $10,000 an hour in Boston. And girls would come to the table crying and shaking just because they got to meet me. I had a poll in the off season. My first first year in Boston, I was a rookie. Tom Brady was a rookie with the Pats, but Tom Brady was playing behind Drew Bledsoe. The Pats weren't popular then because Tom Brady wasn't at the helm yet. The Red Sox were popular, even though we were losing. They did a poll in New England saying who is the hottest player, like not the best player, but the hottest looking player between Shea Hillenbrand and Tom Brady. And I beat Tom Brady. So that's my claim to fame. And the only reason I beat him because the Red Sox were more popular than the Pats. 
the rest is history, what he did with, with his career. So I had all this stuff that I accomplished. I was on top of the world. I summited the mountain and the prime of my career. Like I'm, I'm like, I've had people tell me you're going to make a hundred million dollars. You're going to be a hall of famer. I knew I could hit. I knew I could hit 330 home runs and a hundred RBIs every single year for 10 years straight or 12 years straight or 13 years straight. I knew I could do that. I dabbled with that. I flirted with that, but I wasn't able to do it consistently because I had that pain, that pain from the story that I told myself over and over and over again. You're not lovable. You're not good enough. And your dad doesn't love you. So I had this internal turmoil inside myself, this pain, this, this fueling every part of my being. And what happened, it made me numb to everything and everybody around me on top of the world. So I just vanished. I walked away. I just left $50 million of potential earnings on the table, probably more. And I didn't care. I hated every aspect of it because I didn't have an identity before I went into professional baseball. And as the higher you go, the pressure rises. And when the pressure rises, you will revert back to your routines and your rituals and your habits. So what did I say at nine years old? I'm playing Major League Baseball. My belief system, I'm playing Major League Baseball. My values, I had zero values other than I don't care who you are. If I have to step over you, I have to do this. If you're my best friend, like it's literally my best friend. I was driving to the field one day in the minor leagues and he had a truck and his, his tire came off his truck. Like everything, not just like a flat, everything came off. I didn't even stop for him to help him out. I'm like, oh, this is an opportunity for me to get the advantage. Because if I go work right now, then I could become the best player. And if I become the best player, I'll get elevated to the next level. And if I get elevated to the next level, I'll be one step closer to the major leagues. And if I just get to the major leagues, everything will be great because my dad will finally love me. And everybody will think I'm finally worth it. But what I realized through the whole process of my journey is that it doesn't matter what other people think. It's matter what you think about yourself. So I had everything in the world, but I didn't have myself. So I convinced myself to come home, to be a father to my three beautiful children that are adopted. And what I did is like I pursued my second childhood dream. I bought a zoo. So I had 300 farm and exotic animals. I had camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas. I had, wall I had a, a Bennett's wallaby too. They're crazy. He ripped my earlobe off. I had uh, two Wilshire pigs. 800-pound pigs, Taco Bell and Gilbert. I had a three-legged goat named Trace that I rescued from somebody's house. Like, I have so many stories of what happened at that zoo, my farm, because that was my vision as a kid in Mr. Murphy's class. I'm playing Major League Baseball, and I'm owning a zoo. And if I just accomplish those dreams, my life will be fulfilled, and my life will be great. I had a Holstein cow. Those are the cows that you milk that are black and white. He was a boy that was six feet tall. He was Biggie Smalls. I had a miniature donkey named Tupac. And they'd have, I tell the kids, they'd have coast to coast wars at night, man. So we'd have to separate him in the petting zoo. But what happened was I had a vision and I had that dream that if I just helped these kids, I had inner city disabled and child crisis children come out to my zoo, my farm. I had a trackless train. I had a caboose. You could put wheelchairs in. I had uh, a camel named James, dromedary camel. I had a zonkey named Pippi, half zebra, half donkey. I had uh, goats you can go in with and sheep. I had inflatable bouncies. It was like the Neverland Ranch. It was the most amazing experience ever. I had everything going on there. Like what I viewed was just priceless. I have, like I said, story after story. And 
you'd think that would fill it because Major League Baseball didn't do it. The fame, the glory, the money, the status, all that stuff. But all that did was stroke my ego. See, what I discovered through the process is that if you're not fulfilled on the inside, if you don't know who you are and how you function and what you need to do on a daily basis to fill yourself up and to address those wounds, because we're all wounded. Every last one of us is wounded. If we don't understand how to address that wound, we, can, we become separated from ourselves. When you become separated from yourself, your ego will fill that void Fill that gap, and that ego will get you to the top. That ego will potentially allow you to have massive success. But what I experienced is two things you can't have with ego. You will never find fulfillment through that process. You'll never find peace. You'll never find yourself because you're disconnected from yourself. And you'll never find sustainable success. You'll never turn that sustainable success into greatness. See, the whole time I thought I was trying to chase success to be able to make myself worthy. But what I discovered through the process is I was seeking greatness. And when you seek greatness and not success, your focus is on other people using your gifts and your talents and your voice and your mission and your purpose and your calling to impact other people's lives. That's how you shift from success to greatness. So nine years ago, I found myself on the floor of a van parked outside my ex-wife's house. I overdosed on drugs and alcohol. I want to make it very clear. I wasn't an alcoholic and I wasn't a drug addict and I'm not an alcoholic now. I'm not a drug addict now. What I was doing, going from Major League Baseball to buying my zoo to the floor of the van, I was trying to run, numb, and flee from that pain I had in my life, from the experiences, how I interpreted those experiences and communicated them to myself. I always played the victim. It was always everybody else's fault. It was always my current situation. And it wasn't me because I could hide behind that veil of Major League Baseball. But as I motionless on the floor of this van, I didn't have any veil to hide behind anymore. And as the soul's leaving the top of my head and I'm clinging onto my last breath nine years ago, I had nothing left. I was one breath away from losing everything in my life. And then a voice and those thoughts going through my mind where you're a loser, you lost everything, you're an idiot, you, you're a hypocrite. You said you left the game for your kids. You didn't do that. You started the zoo to fill your void and stroke your ego. You didn't care about the kids. Inherently, I did, but I wasn't in a position because I was so far disconnected from who I am that I couldn't truly be who I was and the impact that I can give with that environment. What kind of parents would do this kid? What, like, like, how do you do this? And my answer to that, all those questions were, I don't know, <laughs> I'm nothing if I don't have baseball. Like, I was so tired mm -hmm. of fighting that game. And I let go. It's the only time in my life that I've ever let go. I was like, I cannot do this anymore. But when I let go, I don't know if I died or if I fell asleep. But when I let go, something happened to me. See, when I, when I, when I let go of the control... And I said, you know what? I can't do this anymore. God, please help me. Please guide me. I can't, I can't keep doing what I'm doing. But by the grace of God, I woke up the next day and the, the, the sun peered through the windshield of my van. And I didn't have any side effect. No nausea, no stomach ache, no nothing. The concoction of alcohol and pills, I would have been dead or hospital, whatever. But it was an aha moment. And from that day forward, I had to take back control. And I had to own my life. And that was the hardest thing ever for me to do because I didn't have to own anything other than swinging a baseball bat in front of 40,000 people and having success.
But when I let go, I decided and I discovered through that process that it wasn't about me, that it's okay, that you could own your flaws. You could own your mistakes. You could own who you are. That's the definition of being a human being. And when I owned, I forgave and I discovered different things and I was able to rewrite history. So you can't really change the actions or the, the experiences, whether defining moments or traumatic experiences for so many people, you can't change the physical experience. But if you go back, you could shift your perspective. And that's where your power lies, is in your perspective of how you view the world. See, my perspective of how I view the world, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me, that blocked me from the power inside myself to become a Hall of Famer, to make 100 million, to hit 330 and 100 every single year, to be able to make the greatest impact of that vision that I had with my zoo, with my farm. I didn't have it. So when I discovered and I got out of my own way and I discovered and I started creating a relationship with myself, not anybody else, myself, because I had burnt every single bridge. I've made so many mistakes and so many bad decisions to lead me to a spot to not even wanting to exist anymore because I felt like I couldn't even turn it around. I felt like it wasn't even possible to feel what I'm feeling right now with a smile on my face, a genuine smile and looking you in the eye. In fear of everybody seeing my shattered soul, because if they see my shattered soul, I'm not a God. Yeah. I'm not the almighty yeah. Shay that they all think I am. And if I'm not almighty Shay, what they think I am as a professional athlete, who am I? I was one breath away. But the greatest thing that I thought was the biggest mistake of letting go. Because I never let go of anything in my life. And that's how I got to the major leagues. But when I let go and let it be, that's when my life truly began at 40 years old after accomplishing everything that I ever accomplished as a professional athlete and living out my second childhood dream of owning a zoo. I, I, I like owning the zoo better than because the pressure is way less than hitting in front of 40,000 people every single night yelling at you, telling you you suck and your mom is whatever. Beep. So it's just like, like when I let go, when you let go and let those walls down that you put up, you discover who you are and then you begin to heal. And when you begin to heal, you could truly start loving yourself. That's when you tap into and start going into greatness and being who you truly are. I didn't know I had this voice. I didn't know I had this passion and this love and this, this excitement and this inspiration and this motivation and, and this energy. So this energy that I have right now and the passion fueled negativity and it fueled negativity because the voice that I had telling myself and the thoughts that I took caption of and the internal language that I used with myself, you suck, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you can't do it. Like nobody could understand what I was saying to myself. So all the stuff that I did externally, I was beating myself up a hundred X that every single night. And the first word out of my mouth when I was playing for the angels in the OC in a $4 million mansion, as I was living out my childhood dream in San Diego, Southern California was the F word. Fuck! And my wife at the time, every single morning, the F word, that's how it, that's what I woke up to as loud as I could do because my pain, my soul just ate as I'm performing and making millions and millions and millions. Like I couldn't, like I was achieving so much success that I never thought I was even imaginable. And my wife would say, what's wrong with you? What the heck's wrong with you? And I said, you'll never know. You'll never understand what I'm going through because I couldn't understand and articulate it. See, what happens is when you get in that situation, when you become disconnected with who you are and you're in a high pressure job, like a professional athlete or an Olympic team softball player, 
like that pressure becomes so great. You start hating yourself because you don't know who you are through that process. And when you start hating yourself, you start hating the game. I hated the game with a passion. I left the game and for 10, 12 years, I wouldn't even look at it. I wouldn't even mm-hmm. talk to anybody. I wouldn't help anybody else. My disdain for my dream was so great that I couldn't even look at it, engage in it because I said, that's what ruined my life. That mm-hmm. environment there was what led me to be where I was, but it didn't. That environment exposed me to me and to the world. And the hardest thing that I ever went through was like, I, 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 was, I called Theo Epstein, the GM for the Red Sox explicitives on the radio. I got into a fight with John Gibbons in the clubhouse in Toronto. It's everywhere. Just Google my name. And the crummiest thing ever is that wasn't me. Like I have the, I'll give my shirt off the back to any of those dudes. I would help them with anything I could ever do. But that was a shattered little boy screaming for help and keeping people at a distance because if they saw who I truly was, they wouldn't give me and continue on with the opportunities that I had. So when I got off the floor of the van, I started going and creating and started like pulling back the layers and, and like, dude, like, I got to find this. Like, I got to find this. I have to find this. I have to find happiness. I have to find joy and fulfillment. Where did you find it? Where did you end up finding it? it? Along the journey. I found it when I said, you know what? Like, 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 what do you truly believe? I had to look in the mirror. I had to look in the mirror and say, who are you? And I said, I don't know. Let's go figure it out. And once I said, you know, I started like, okay, like, like how you see the world, your perspective of how you view the lens, you view the world is from your belief system. I believed I was this as a performer, a successful performer, but I didn't believe, I believe this as a person. Well, I'm not the performer anymore. I have to work on the person. So uh, belief comes from the decisions and actions and, and, and decisions and actions come from the story and the narrative. Oh, and the story and the narrative comes from interpretation and communication. Like I didn't go to seminars. I didn't go to uh, college. I don't have a PhD in this stuff. I can teach you how to hit a baseball, but I didn't have any of this stuff. I just like just diligently worked and just studied and, and okay. Like interpretation and communication came from my experiences. So I went back and so many people won't go back to these defining moments and these traumatic experiences in their life. Because when you go through a traumatic experience or defining moment, there's pain. There's negative emotions wrapped around that experience. And what we do is we put that in a closet and compartmentalize this. And if we say, if we just do this, all that will go away. If I just have success, if I just have status, if I just make this money, if I just get this wife and these kids and this blue, uh, this house and the white picket fence, if I just get this, all this will go away. But that comes with you. So I took me everywhere I went and the me that went with me Everywhere I went, destructed everything in its path. I was like the Tasmanian devil everywhere I went. So I sat there and I discovered that the reason why my dad moved us at 14 years old from California to Arizona is to give me a chance to play Major League Baseball. Because if I was stuck in California, I would have been stuck in the flood of red of all the people because I wasn't good enough to play in Southern California. It was the hardest thing that I went through. And I'm trying to teach my son this right now because he's 16 going through similar things right now. We had to make some big defining moments in his life right now. And I said, dude, when my dad moved me, my world was over. I hated everything about it. I hated high school. I hated all that stuff. 
but I didn't realize that it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So I went back and I understood why my dad did the things he did, but I understood why he took the action and how he did the things because he was like a white knuckler. Like, it's just like blah, blah. he just blow up. Blah, 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 blah. But I understood. I, I just took enough, enough, enough gold to, to say, you know what? Like, why did he do this? Well, he was pulling his mom out of bars at 13 years old because his dad wouldn't do it. His mom was the biggest struggling, like horrible person in the world to him. And he was a twin brother and his twin brother was everything and he was nothing. So once I understood where he went through, that gave me the power. Information and understanding gives you the power to switch your perspective. And when I switched that perspective of how I saw those experiences, I had a million pounds of unworthiness fall off my shoulders and tears like Niagara Falls were coming down my face at 40 years old. Like, it's all right. I didn't have to drink. I didn't have to have success. I didn't have to make this status. My dad and mom loved me for who I was. And my dad loved me for the very best he could. And I was able to have a conversation with him. And it was the most beautiful experience. And I was there when my father died five years ago. He was on the floor of my mom's house. And I was the only son here to help them, help her and my wife. And I, let, I, I sat there. And as they were taking his body away, I pulled back the sheet. And I gave my father a kiss in the head. And I said, Dad, I'm going to use my voice that you gave me to go out there and do the very best I can to impact the world with what I have. And that's where my clothing line, Voice to the Voiceless, Two V's Apparel came from, is I'm passionately, like, 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 you ain't going to stop me. Like how I said before, like, you know, I'm going to play major. League. I don't care what y'all are doing. You can say what you want. All I need is one tenth of a percent of a chance to go. I'm going to do it. I have that same approach of what I'm doing now to use my voice okay. and my message and my story and my gifts and my talents to just to give one person hope that's going yeah. to watch this because the numbers and the averages will show it that there's one person that will watch this that's one breath away from giving up. I'm not yeah. saying maybe like committing suicide, but one breath away of giving up on that dream and that vision, that marriage, that job, or that whatever yeah. they might be on their kids or whatever that might be, their friends or, or their parents' relationship with their parents because you can't get that back if they die. Like one breath away from giving up to give them the hope and inspiration and understanding. Say, so you know what? You're not one breath away from giving up. You're one breath away from a breakthrough in your life that right. experience the greatest version of yourself by switching that perspective because you have the power and the remote in your hand to change yes. the channel, to change that narrative, to change that story, to change that movie. You have the power. I have the power to do that. Nobody else. But what we do is we have social media. We have Netflix. We have food. We have all these vices and grips to get us to run numb and flee from that pain that comes from that story. It's possible because I'm 47 years old now and I'm going to make more money than I made playing baseball. I'm going to make a bigger impact and I'm going to do things and make bigger impacts in people's lives at 47. I thought life passed me by. I know how that feels, but it didn't. I'm just getting started, baby. <laughs> I love that. I love, I love it's that redemption story. And you know what? Not everybody can relate to the success and being an MLB oh. and all-star, right? And no, not a lot of people can relate to being an Olympian, but it's when it got hard, they can relate to that. They can relate to what you're saying, the hurts and the pains. And like you said, everybody has problems. Like we look at social media and we're looking at everybody's highlight reels while we're living through our actual real movie, right? And you're like, 
wait a second. And I know for me, like things are good. I love looking at things, but if I'm going through a tough time, whoa, I, it, it changes the lens. You said so many different things. I'm going to point out just a couple. You talked about MLB just exposed. It didn't cause who you really were in that. It just, it, it added pressure. It applied pressure. Right. And then through that, there's a, there's a quote, um, I think it, um, it was from, oh gosh, I can't think of who it was from now, but it says adversity introduces a man's character to himself. And basically you go through our times and, um, you know, I just, I talked to somebody who, you know, um, from duck dynasty and, you know, he, I was saying, you know, thanks for being cool. Like he was just a great guy. Faith was a big part of who he was. And he said, you know what? He said, all fame does is exposes. It doesn't, it doesn't create somebody to be better or worse. It just exposes who our character really is. And, and then you kept saying the greatness over the success. I agree. A lot of people will say it's significance. Like they'll say like strive for significance when your significance, like you said, that's what fulfills you. You make a difference in others. Like you talked about, it's hard when we just think of me, 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 me. It's just, that doesn't lead us to a good place. It actually keeps us like a lot of times locked up darkness, unsettled what you're talking about. Like, I feel like that fame and that you see so many famous people, right? Stars. You just hear these stories of these lives and you're thinking, wait, if they have what the world offers and everyone thinks that's what makes you happy, they should be the most content, the most, you know, I don't know, normal, like everything working really well. But a lot of times it's, it's actually the most chaotic. And because like you're saying, you almost have to, you try to try to please everybody and be somebody that maybe you're not even right. Like I have this facade, I got to put on this act. This is what they think I am. So who am I really? And, um, and so I know for me, for me and listening to you a little bit, like you've made a couple comments that have stood out, like in college, I was so thankful. That's where God really got a hold of my heart. And identity was a big thing we talked about. And I'm so glad I recognized that. And I had people teach that to me. Like you talk about asking questions and learning and I saw it lived out. And I thought, wait a second, my teammate, she's confident, but this stuff doesn't affect her because she knows who God says she is. And that's how she's found that identity. And through that identity, everything else can flow. So when I made the Olympic team, it was like, wait, this isn't my identity. Like you said, it fills you, feeds your self-esteem, but it's, it's good when it's good, but it's bad when it's bad. <laughs> And, um, and that identity and that feeding. And so for me, it was like, no, God, you have me here for a purpose. You have me here for a purpose. You have me here to, to shine. You have me here for my teammates, not only for me to affect them, but for them to affect me, my coaches that are over me. Like you have me here. My coach lost his wife right before the Olympics. She, she collapsed. She had an aneurysm a month out from the Olympic games. Uh, we were on, we were all together. She went to eat her breakfast and she's gone. And it was like, Whoa, you talk about like that shaking moment of like, are we ready to be gone? Are we ready to face God one day? And so in that sense, like he asked me to speak at her funeral. He asked me to share one of the verses. And I remember thinking, you know what? This is better than any gold medal. A month later, we went yes. on to win a gold medal together, but I was like, that's better than any gold medal because the reality is our time on this earth, we're around these people for a reason. And so Shay, I just, you know, I'm thankful that you're willing to share your story because you've been through a lot. People are going to listen just because of what you've accomplished as, as an MLB all-star, but more than that, they, they need to hear this message of hope and redemption and how you found peace, like you said. And so just, just one last little section, as we wrap this up, I'd love for you just to share. Um, you've shared a lot about your story but what would you just, just say to those people who maybe are at the top of the ladder, they are making all this money, but the same thing, they're like, wait a second, this isn't where hope is. I'm miserable. What would be that last little message that you would leave with them? 
Yeah, thank you so much. And I appreciate that. Um, when you're disconnected, your ego fills that gap. And we become obsessed for what we do because that's what the profession demands for us to do, to be able to achieve, have success, maintain, or whatever. But through that journey, what happens for the most of us, especially men, we have damaged our relationship with our spouse and our children. And when you damage the relationship with your spouse and your children, and you're only equipped to be very successful at what you do, you think that if I just get here, all this on the side here in my private life, my interpersonal relationships will be taken care of. And the scariest part to be is when you get there and you realize that that success, that status, that level does not help you with that pain that you have inside yourself, those wounds that have not been healed. Because if when you have wounds that are still there in that pain, that's like inflammation to the soul. And so many of us don't know how to address that inflammation to the soul. And we have that hole, that God-sized hole, that's so big that we, don't, we think if we fill it with everything externally, everything will be okay. But once, once we get there, what happens is, we realize that we've damaged these things in our personal life, and we have this hole in our private life, which is ourself, that we're scared. Because what happens is we've done so much damage with our interpersonal relationships with our spouse or our partner and our children, and we're having this mess of success, but we don't know how to fix it. That's the scariest place to be in, because I can fix everything. I can do this and do that and do this. I can have success. I can bring in the money. I can go out there and do this and that and this, but I don't know how to fix this, which is the most important thing in my life, is my wife and my children. And I can't ask for help because I don't trust anybody. And the only reason I don't trust anybody, we think that because everybody wants something from us. Yeah, that's part of the equation. But ultimately, what I've discovered is I can't trust anybody when I'm at that level, ultimately because I can't trust myself. I can't trust myself because I'm disconnected and my ego's filled that gap and trying, I'm trying to fill that God-sized hole so big like with everything in the world, but it's just burying everything in my life and I'm living, a, I'm slowly dying and everything in my life is falling out of control. So I place my focus here because it's the only place I have success and I can bury myself behind this veil. So what do we do when we're in that spot? What do we do when we're chasing that dream? We have to get connected. The reason why I was so successful with hitting a baseball, because I was connected with the moment with that stupid four-step process. I tell kids and people that I work with, whether in the big leagues, minor leagues, collegiate players, D1 players, to first-round draft picks, like across the board, I tell them this right here, this four-step focus formula to be able, it's a million dollar formula. Every guy that has massive success in the major leagues does a version of that. I've made it so simple, so specific to break down so somebody can implement this formula into their, their equation when they're having playing baseball, and then they can customize it from there, but they won't do it. They won't do it because they think it's supposed to be so much harder than that. So many of us men don't realize that so many of us successful people don't realize that all we have to do is just be present for our wife. All we have to do is just be present with our children. We don't have to buy presents. I bought them all the presents in the world because I couldn't be present. So if we, if we reverse engineer it, we have to become connected. How do we become connected? You have to connect with the source. You have to go on walks. I go on trail runs. 
I become silent with myself and I start having conversations with God. And once you start getting connected and start growing that relationship with yourself, the same as you do with your profession, it has to start with you. It can't start with counseling with your wife or your children. It has to start with you because you are the reason why you are, things are in your life the way they are right now. So once you start working on you and healing those wounds and understanding that we all have those wounds and start to love yourself, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through journaling, whether it's through gratitude, because when I'm in a state of gratitude, none of these other feelings or these experiences, or these expressions, it's physically impossible for me to be present. I have to retrain my mind. And that's my favorite Bible verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform yourself to the world, but transform yourself by the renewal of what? It's the one thing God has no control over. We have free will. I have to take care of this. I can't turn it all over to him. I have to ask him to guide me, but I have to guide myself first to put myself in a position to heal myself because God can't heal those wounds. I have to heal that inflammation in my soul by being connected. So once I'm connected, I can start showing up and the people around me will feel because there's so much noise and there's so much lip service that has happened that's damaged the relationship that the only way I can rectify or build and grow the relationships is by them feeling me. The only reason I could, only way I could feel is when I become connected. And that's how I could elevate at a higher level. That's how I could elevate at a higher state of being is being in that position to heal those wounds and rise above who I thought I was and understand how to change those stories, change that narrative, switch that perspective, and understand there's more to life than what we're dealing with right now. Yeah, that's awesome. And and you said he can't heal him. And I, I think what you're saying, and I, I think this is true, unless we let him, unless we invite him into the process and say, God, you But you I can't have trust to him if I don't trust myself. You're 100% correct. Totally. Totally. You're right. And it is, it's really that it, like you just said, you said it multiple times and there's another story of a, you know, somebody in our military who has a very similar story and it was like a life and death and it was a full surrender and God is just using him in a big way too. Yeah. I to connect you guys. But <laughs> I just, I want to think one, one thought that came and I'm going to share this quote that happened um, when I was at an orphanage in Mexico um, with a group of like high school kids years ago. And they, and I remember we did a debriefing afterwards and you had all these high school kids from Orange County. They have some money there, you know, and they have everything. And literally to a brother and a sister were on this trip. And, and basically um, the, the dog, the, the girl said, she said, you know what? after going on that trip, it makes me realize they have nothing and they're happy. We have everything and we're not happy. And she said, and not only that, like, I don't even talk to my sibling. These kids don't even have parents and look at the joy we saw in their faces. And it was just that room that, that hit me so hard. And it's like what you're talking about. It's just, it's just, what is life about? And, 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 you know, for me again, it's God for some people, you know, it's not, but like you're saying like the impact and then who we can be in the lives of others. We are here to, to be a blessing. We are here to give our gifts and talents to help others and, and to bring life. Like you're talking about, like, I'm so thankful you have found it. How can people find you on social media or website? Where, where can they look? Yeah, I'm on uh, I spend a lot of my time on Instagram, Shay underscore Hillenbrand, Facebook, Shay Hillenbrand and LinkedIn, Shay Hillenbrand. Um, YouTube, same thing. And then I have a website, shayhillenbrand.co because for some reason, some Red Sox fan bought shayhillenbrand.com and wants to sell it to me. And I'm like, I'm not going to buy my domain. So <laughs> shayhillenbrand.co is my website to get connected or just DM me. And uh, I, I keynote speak all over the world. 
I offer coaching, training. Um, I love doing masterminds. I love doing uh, workshops. I love doing group hybrid. I have a group hybrid coaching program where I take people through. Uh, uh, I call it the five tool player because as a as a baseball player, your five tools are the best player. But it has the idea framework I D E E A, and I have to. I created it for major league baseball players during COVID, and I had to do it to a way and say, "Hey, dude, I got an idea for you. Do you think you might?" Because there's so much ego and stuff. So there's, there's a way you got to put it. So I have a five uh, uh, a, a five pillar framework. I, I help people through the stuff that I did, and and like I said, it's not theory. It's not textbook. It's not uh, what I learned at Tony Robbins or any of that stuff. It's just stuff that I'm just super passionate about. When I discovered my smile. Um, I said, I can't keep this for myself. I have to share it with other people. So uh, there's no greater feeling to be able to do that. So, yeah. Thank you so much. I know so many people are going to be impacted and really blessed by what you shared. And again, one of the things I took away from listening to you a week ago, so I'm so thankful you came onto my podcast was your passion. Number one, I so relate to that. And then number two, just your humility and willingness to be vulnerable, because that is where transformation happens, not only for you, but for other people as well and, and unlocking those tools for them and them like saying yes to it. And so um, thank you again for being here, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Shay Hillenbrand. He had so much good wisdom to share. If there's somebody that you know that really this message could impact, make sure to share it um, with others. But otherwise, we'll see you here next time on the Gold Standard Podcast. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Gold Standard Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it with a friend. You can post on social media and tag at Leah20USA or use hashtag Gold Standard Podcast. Make sure you also subscribe so you get notified each week as a new episode releases. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We appreciate your reviews as they help encourage others to listen in. Until next time, live out the gold standard and keep turning your goals into reality.